0: Welcome to the Mobile Dev Memo Podcast. I am your host, Eric Sufer. This is the last episode in the three-part series I have published called ATT One Month In, in which I've spoken with people from across the ad tech industry about the changes they are seeing that have been brought about by Apple's app tracking transparency policy. The purpose of this series was to bring more data to light around ATT's impact Many advertisers have a limited data set from which to draw conclusions, and so I invited people from within AdTech, whom I respect, to speak to the broader impact of ATT. So far, this series has done just that, and it has been well-received, and I have no doubt that this episode will be too. My guest today is Alex Bauer. Alex is the head of product marketing and market strategy at Branch, the mobile measurement company. Alex joined Branch in 2016 as a developer advocate and later moved into a product marketing role, where he now among other things, leads Branch's cross-functional iOS 14 task force. Alex has been a guiding light on ATT since it was first announced last June, publishing insights regularly on his Twitter and on the Branch blog. I certainly have learned as much about ATT from Alex on Twitter as I have from any other resource. I speak to Alex in this episode about why some calculations of opt-in are misleading, the data he is seeing as the true value of opt-in rates, why opt-in rates don't really mean anything anyway, and about for how long Apple can allow device fingerprinting to be done before it starts enforcing that very explicit restriction. I said when I published the very first episode in the series that it would not age well, and that is proving to be true. Today is Thursday, June 3rd, and I recorded this conversation with Alex on Wednesday, June 2nd, and already some of what we said requires correcting. Apparently, iOS 14.6 is poised to be pushed to devices today or tomorrow, meaning that the adoption rate should increase dramatically. Thanks for listening, and please enjoy this conversation with Alex Bauer. Alex, how are you?
1: I'm great. It's nice to be here. I know everyone's been calling you the uh, Oracle of iOS 14, so I figured being on this podcast means I finally made it to the big leagues.
0: Oh, well, um, I'm glad you think that. Uh, (laughs) So this is the the third in... um, The third and the three part uh, series that I've been doing ATT one month in uh, the first two episodes were pretty well received, you know, no pressure, but uh, let's let's end it. um, Let's end it on a on on an even higher note. uh, than than the first two episodes reached. Um, Why don't you just give why so I have just introduced you. uh, But why don't you give a, a kind of brief introduction of yourself in your own words.
1: Sure, I'm Alex, head of product marketing and market strategy at Branch, and I've I've been on the team here for a bit over five years, and prior to do that, I was doing some product management for a, a small app startup, and prior to that, I was a classical pianist, so a bit of a, a career switch, and without subjecting the listeners here to like a full sales pitch or anything basically branch is a deep linking and measurement platform and one of the products we offer is a an ad measurement solution that customers typically consider as equivalent to a traditional Mmp so ios 14 has been pretty disruptive to us just like every other MMP but on the other side what apple's doing with this is kind of forced commoditization of the ads attribution space and that also validates a lot of what we felt for years which is that there's more to mobile measurement and marketing than just the paid acquisition side
0: i'm also detecting an accent is that am i correct here or are you
1: there is a tiny bit of an accent it's funny that people typically don't notice it at all or they notice it within the first 30 seconds which you've done uh my mom was english and i grew up homeschooled in a cabin in the woods for the first 18 years of my life. So it was sort of like the the British isolation mm. compound. And I've picked up a little bit of her accent over the years.
0: I wanted to have you on because I feel like your Twitter feed has been like a real time source of, uh, insight and data around ATT You've been probably one of the, the top people to follow, if not the top person to follow regarding this. Um, and I thought, um, You know, especially you know, given the 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 perspective that you have at Branch, um, you you would have just a just a a really really great kind of data based perspective on what's happening, and that is the case as you just released um, the kind of latest data around um, iOS fourteen point five plus adoption today. Was that that today or was that yesterday?
1: Yesterday evening, but it hasn't really changed in the last twelve hours.
0: Right. And so, I mean, I think just to just to dive right in, um, what what are you seeing? What what is the latest state of
1: things? Well, uh, as you wrote in your article last week, Apple still seems to be slow rolling this change for for some reason. And maybe they think they're offering a grace period or something to give everyone a chance to adapt. But in reality, I think we've both seen that nobody's really using this grace period to do anything. At the moment. But uh, at the moment, uh, the, the three metrics that I'm keeping an eye on are the adoption rate of iOS 14.5 and above. Now that we've got 14.6 and also 14.7 on the horizon. Because until that hits a critical mass, we can't really tell what the impact of the app tracking transparency policy is going to be. Mm-hmm. And then the setric, second metric I'm keeping an eye on is the ATT opt in rate. I think there's a bunch of flavors of this floating around and most of them are vanity metrics, but it's useful as a way to pulse check how user sentiment is evolving towards this idea of tracking, especially in the light of some of these new ads that Apple is now running apparently everywhere. And Mm -hmm. unfortunately there was, there was some pretty bad analysis of the ATT opt-in rate going around in the first few weeks. Which I think mm. led to some unfortunately misleading media headlines. the The rate, in reality, isn't high, but it's certainly high enough to cast some doubts to this idea that universally the users are opting out everywhere.
0: Yeah, yeah, and so there were because there was like a kind of second order effect, right? So you had the 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 uh, whatever the, those data dumps. That were mm-hmm. happening was it daily or every couple of days, right? With with like the four percent or whatever no six percent six percent number, um, and then you had the media uptake of that, which mm-hmm. uh, you know just propagated it you know throughout the kind of mainstream um, you know mainstream uh, field of vision, and and so uh, you know as a result, like you would read analysis that was and then there was the then the New York Times. Uh, op-ed about this which was was kind of just like one of the most fatuous you know uh takes I've I've seen on the topic and he was just saying look 94 percent of Americans don't want tracking and so there, there you go the proof is in the pudding and it's like well no that's not first of all that number you're misinterpreting what that number means and second of all the number was flawed to begin with um, and then, you know, this goes out in the New York Times and then, you know, you couple that with people seeing the privacy ads um, and, it, and, it, and if, it, it just feels like there was this overwhelming torrent of just like uh, cons- consumer desire or demand to, to to you know, to, to sort of uh, block, you know, undercut this activity that was happening um, that mm-hmm. they sort of perceived to be um this 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 really like perverse violation of of privacy right uh which is just it's that's first of all it's just not not the case uh just just kind of um categorically in terms of like what what tracking is quote unquote tracking but but second, that's that's not that's not how people are voting with their clicks right i mean that was just flawed that was Mm -hmm. a flawed measurement
1: it's kind of a case that a lie can make its way halfway around the world before the truth even gets its shoes on. Not that the data was necessarily an outright lie, but it was misleading enough that when it gets cast that way in a media headline, especially in mainstream press, it's easy to get completely the wrong spin on something. And I think that's especially the case because with that adoption rate being just barely 20% as of yesterday, that means that literally 80% of iOS users haven't even had a chance to see this prompt right. yet.
0: Right, the, and thus the 94% of Americans quote, I it, mean, it's just like absurd. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, just, it, it, it's like so disconnected from the reality of the numbers. Can, actually, you had a really good piece about why those numbers were flawed um, in AdExchanger. Um, can, can you just kind of quickly summarize the, the point you made there?
1: Yeah, the the issue was that the initial version of that metric was being calculated for all app tracking transparency statuses, basically. And because of the way Apple has architected the system, users can opt out at the device level, which will then force every app to receive a denied value even if the app is not showing the prompt, if they didn't implement it, their users are still going to come back with denied values. And if that data gets included into the rest of the analysis for apps that are showing the prompt, then you end up with an artificially low number because you basically skewed the equation.
0: Right. Um, And so, I mean, what, so why, what do you, because you've 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 talked about like vanity metrics and um we'll talk a little bit later about about what the opt-in rate really means but like what which of these metrics should anyone really be concerned with if if any right because i mean everyone you know the 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 market level metrics don't really mean anything for any particular advertiser but like of those you know there's there's these different variants and you're right like that number wasn't uh you know whatever it's not invalid it's just a kind of a mischaracterization it's it's not what most people would assume you meant when you talked about opt-in rates but t- talk about what what which of those numbers which of these should any any advertiser like if i'm running a you know just a business that relies on advertising which of these should i really be concerned with
1: i think if you have to pick a vanity metric and we'll get into the one that i feel is not a vanity metric later but if you have to pick one of those the most useful is actually what we've been calling basically the effective tracking availability rate. It's if you take all of your users and look at the ratio of authorized. So the people who've actually clicked the allow tracking button versus everyone else, that's the most useful because users who are restricted or uh, haven't seen the prompt yet, they are de facto the same as people who've Opted out, so you don't really want to be looking only at allowed versus denied. You want to be looking at allowed versus everything else.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. And um, I think it's it's interesting. You know, we've talked about this to, to to consider like what that really means, though, right? So, like, let's say that I've got um, my well, let's call that the true opt-in rate. Like, that's the that's the opt-in rate of you know, of of just just people that have seen the prompt of them opting in um what what can i do with that right because you know i wrote a post about this uh i guess it was a couple months ago now called att opt-in rates are irrelevant where i made the case that like you know look all of this is going to be constrained by facebook's opt-in rate um for for, you know in in the main because that's everyone's that's every advertiser's main publisher right there's a single publisher Mm -hmm. id basically it's a single app and that's you know, if not a majority of spend, then a large plurality, and it's probably the, it's probably the largest. Um, so, you know, if I have a high opt-in rate, but Facebook has a low opt-in rate, I'm still like, I'm going to kind of max out at Facebook's opt-in rate anyway. If I had 100, if I had 100%, right, 100% yes. opt-in rate and Facebook's opt-rate was 20%, ultimately, I'm going to be able to match 20% of the people that kind of flow through Facebook's um, inventory, right? And so that's, that. Then I'm still constrained. I'm still constrained in that way. And then the numbers change as my opt-in rate decreases, right? So t- tell me about, um, and you've characterized this a different way. You've at least given it a different name. Talk about that. Talk, talk about that dynamic, because I think that's really interesting. I think it's very underappreciated right now.
1: Yeah, that, that's why I'm saying that any of these single-sided opt-in rates are just vanity data, because they don't tell you anything useful, except perhaps, how effective your pre-prompt messaging is or, or mm-hmm. whatever. They're telling your individual users, but you are still constrained by Facebook as the, the major publisher or any other place that you are running. It's basically if, if that other side of the equation has, uh, even if they have a pretty high opt-in rate, you're looking at the intersection between right. your rate and theirs. And unless you can quantify the size of that intersection, you're not getting anything useful. So that that's what I've been looking at as kind of I've been calling it the successful attribution rate which is yeah. really if you if you compare the number of attributions you're getting from versions of iOS where app tracking transparency is not in effect to the same same data set for users on ios versions where it is in effect and you can do that in real time right now because the adoption is only partial you kind of see both data streams for that app in real time going one day at a time Mm -hmm. Uh, that's the rate that you want to look at how many attributions on the newer versions in parallel to the older versions an example of yeah. that would be if uh if 10 out of every total in uh total 100 installs on a previous version of ios if, if 10 of those were attributed to ads mm-hmm. then if only one out of every hundred is attributed after the policy is in fact then basically you've lost data for 90 percent of your installs and only 10 percent right. of them are still recoverable as yeah attribution data so looking and It's that that's a fairly complex uh, equation to run. It's even challenging to explain on a podcast, which I think is part of why we haven't seen that data being shared very much yet. The, The other part is a number of MMPs in the industry are still allowing their customers to seamlessly fall back to fingerprint based measurement when the IDFA is missing, which is masking the effect of that. Because fingerprinting Mm -hmm. is actually quite effective at finding some install to attribute, even if it's not necessarily the right one, it will still fill that hole with something, which means that the total numbers haven't fallen yet for any customer using one of those MMPs.
0: Yeah, I I wanna talk about that. Um, But first I kinda wanna uh, hover on this effective tracking rate topic. So in the data dump um, that you released, last night and uh that can be found on the branch blog the title of the article is attribution after ios 14.5 what does the data tell us about why the apocalypse is so quiet and i'll I'll link it in the blog post for this podcast but you have a graph of that effective tracking rate and it seemed to be on an upward trajectory from you know the may 11th time frame but then it sort of plateaus out um and even even has a sort of downward slope from 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 the the end of may and talk about that what what do you think that means
1: yeah i think it's it's honestly still too early to tell because of how low the adoption rate of ios 14.5 and above is at this point i think the fluctuations you're seeing there are just even day-to-day changes in campaign volume i don't see that number uh fluctuating more than a percent or two at the moment and all of those percents ever since I started looking at the metric they've all been single digit low so the the ultimate takeaway here is and and the the metric that I as of yesterday was about 6.5 percent which means that of every 100 installs that used to be attributable now you're only getting six of them and whether that's six or whether that's seven on a given day it doesn't really make a huge difference. It's categorically different from before.
0: Yeah. Um, one thing I talked about in the last podcast with Paul, but I would love to get your take on this, um, because maybe you've observed this happening was that, you know, my sense was always that you'd get kind of artificially high opt-in rates early just because when people were seeing this for the first time, it would just be this kind of novel thing. And you'd think, oh, it's like added security from the app developer. And isn't that nice that they're, um, you know, alerting me to this, uh, this, this reality um, and I'll opt in. And, you know, and I'm talking about the ATT prompt, but after people have seen it, you know, some number of times and they've maybe seen the Apple ad, they're, they're gonna become, you know, sort of much more circumspect of tracking and they're gonna click no probably, uh, more readily. Um, is that what you've seen is, did you see like earlier opt-in rates or sorry, higher opt-in rates early than what you're seeing now as people maybe are seeing the prompt for the third, fourth, fifth time. And again, I understand that, you know, the, the adoption rate is still quite low. Um, and so, you know, many people haven't even seen it for the first time, but I'm just wondering if that's something that you've seen.
1: I just haven't seen that too much. Yet, if anything, it seems like the effective, or what we were calling earlier, the, the true ATT opt-in rate, it seems like it's actually even growing slightly. And part of that could be Apple finally fixed the bug they had around restricted statuses being enforced incorrectly. And more apps are choosing to show the prompt to more users now. So that not determined part uh, segment is shrinking slightly. I mm-hmm. think... The idea that users might get ATT blindness, basically there might be something to that. But the other piece to consider is since Apple hasn't proactively pushed out the new version to anyone yet, yeah. the people on this version of iOS are the ones like you and me who know to go looking. So you're getting a different segment of the user base than you will once this gets broad adoption. And Mm -hmm. since, since the main selling point of iOS 14.5, I mean, I guess that was that thing about being able to unlock your phone with your mask on via your Apple watch. That got a little bit of press, but I think the main thing of iOS 14.5 was app tracking transparency. So anyone who knew to go looking is quite likely going to look specifically so that they can, use the new modal most likely to opt out because that's the sort of thing that will incentivize somebody to go update on purpose.
0: Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, One, one thing I wanted to talk about um, before we get to fingerprinting is the S curve. So when you look at the adoption rate curves, um, it seems like you either get updates that were basically pushed out to the to the broader public on day one or two, um, or updates that were sort of that have a kind of very slow kind of like, um, you know, logarithmic shape up until about day seven ish, and then they're pushed out. Or you get the case, uh, the curious case of 14.3, because I had actually I had a hard time writing the article I wrote, um, because it almost you you had to kind of ignore 14.3 to make the case, right? And I, I can describe mm-hmm. what for, the 14.3 curve looks like. Um, although I I hate describing charts but basically it's just this very slow evolution out to like day 26 or 7 and then it gets pushed out and so then you see it inflect and it jumps way up the the um the slope uh gets very sharp uh uh, you know, in an upward direction and, and that and then it the, the ad- adoption rate increases very, very quickly over the course of like three or four days, but 14.3 is kind of like an anomaly right because it seems like you know you they were either they're either very confident about a release and they push it out with uh, with the status. Uh, uh, um, a badge very early or they wait like a week and then and then they push it out or it, it just it just sort of the, that version kind of ends up dying and never getting um, you know, pushed, never getting sort of promoted. Uh, but 14.3 just sort of like breaks that mold. And that had a very, very slow adoption rate until like very late. And then it did get pushed. It didn't get replaced with a subsequent version. Um, so it didn't get just, it didn't just sort of like die. Um, it, it did get promoted. So what do you, what do you make of that? 14.3 was a big release, but I wonder why that doesn't really fit either of those two cases.
1: I had trouble describing 14.3 also that one didn't really as you say it completely doesn't match any of the other cohorts and I even looked to see if there were features in 14.3 that would cause Apple to need a much longer than usual validation period I mean in theory you could and this wasn't the case for 14.3 but in theory you could imagine if it was something like the, the COVID notification functionality. Mm. Maybe they'd really want to have slow rolled that introduction, but yeah, I didn't see anything in 14.3 that would have qualified for that. So honestly, I, I can't really explain that one either.
0: Yeah. It's interesting because it, it does seem that, you know, you either get promoted by day seven, um, or that version never gets promoted except for 14.3. 14.3. And which by the way, 14.6 would would mean that it's likely going to be replaced with something. Um, or or it it sort of uh also will will you know see the same fate as 14.3 because we're at sort of day what seven or eight now, right? Um yeah, it's
1: day seven as of or day eight as of today. Day
0: eight, right? So so that if it didn't get promoted by day seven-ish, maybe maybe it gets promoted today or or I don't know, but um, then it, it seems like that just sort of dies on the vine. Um mm-hmm. you know, so either you get promoted by day seven or you don't and you get replaced with another version. so th- that'll be interesting to see what happens there because 14 point5 point one went about 20 days before it got replaced mm-hmm. with 14 point six.
1: And then we've also got 14 point7 betas already out. And I think the interesting uh potential hand grenade in the works here is that WWdc is on Monday, right with- yeah an expected iOS 15 announcement. So that definitely gums up how things would typically work with these releases. Maybe Apple's holding on to anything substantial now so that they can Mm. uh, time it after the WWDC announcements.
0: Yeah. That's yeah. I, I, I I didn't connect those two dots, but yeah, that's true.
1: It has been Um, a year, believe it or not.
0: Yeah. Wow. What a year. Uh, Okay. Fingerprinting. What? So Maybe um, this this has been uh, a conversation I've had with a number of people because you know it's really frustrating for some of the advertisers that uh, you know kind of began um, uh, began sort of adapting to this early and invested a lot of time and a lot of resources to kind of con- comply with ATT and to to build systems. Um, that they that they thought were sort of like durable and you know workable um, in this kind of new environment uh, to see that fingerprinting is just being allowed to happen, right? And I mean, especially given you know Apple was not shy about fingerprinting. Mm-hmm. Like the, Apple was not ambiguous about how they how they w- were viewing fingerprinting, and for them to just not be enforcing this is really frustrating for a lot of the advertisers and a lot of the ad tech companies too. That that went to to great pains to to sort of um, you know, build build infrastructure uh, that aligned with with Apple's demands um, with ATT. And, and and what you know, what are your thoughts there? Because I mean, some of the companies doing this are being very blatant about it. They're not hiding it. Um, you know, they're not trying to conceal it. Uh, and and so for Apple to just say, well, you know, for Apple to 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 not to to not enforce, you know, what they've been very explicit about all along kind of calls into question whether they'll ever do it because it's been a month, mm-hmm. right? Or more than a month. You know, there've been multiple releases. When, what, at what point do they say, okay, well, there was a grace period, yes, but now it's over and now you must comply.
1: Yeah, that is tough. I think, I don't know whether Apple just doesn't realize that there's this chaos in the interpretation or whether they they don't care because they don't need to. Uh, But the reality is that there is language from Apple that can be read as specific. But also there's enough wiggle room in there that you can still kind of wiggle your way around the edge. And until Apple actually sets some enforcement precedent, I think we'll continue to see that kind of wiggle because there's just, you can't necessarily blame companies for trying to wiggle because it's sort of like paying extra income tax. There's no benefit for them to voluntarily comply if Apple isn't going to enforce it. I mean, they, they put themselves at a competitive advantage so long as someone else in the ecosystem is willing to slightly skirt the rules. Mm-hmm. I think that's what we're seeing right now since Apple isn't wrapping knuckles yet. Uh, every, a, a lot of folks are taking the approach that let's, let's wait and see. And the worst that can happen is we'll have to make an update later.
0: Yeah. Well, no, I don't blame, I don't blame the companies. They're acting out of self-interest. I I'm frustrated with Apple. I don't understand mm-hmm. why, um, you know, a- Apple would, would, would communicate, um, Yeah. And and you're right. I mean, it's, it's, it's explicit, but you know, they're, they're using a term fingerprinting, which can be, I guess you could interpret it in multiple ways, or you could say what you're doing is not fingerprinting because for whatever reason. Um, but I mean, the, the kind of practical impact of, 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 of this thing that's being done, no matter how you kind of decide to label it, um, is that, uh, you know, the companies that did prepare for att and they did um update their infrastructure and they they did go through the process of basically uh you know retooling uh their whole analytics stack and their whole advertising stack are are effectively being punished for that right they're they're being like you said they're paying that extra income tax that it turns out oh by the way there was a loophole um, it's it's really frustrating for those companies that invested all this money um to now see that Apple is just not really living up to uh you know it, to, to this to this sort of um to the rhetoric that that they were you know very sort of loudly uh you know amplifying across the, the industry.
1: It's it's frustrating and also even from an end user perspective, it's a little bit disingenuous because now they're running these ads saying if you press this button, you know, these magical people who are following you around down the street and are now sitting in your living room, you press this button and they go poof, Mm -hmm. except they don't. If Apple doesn't actually follow through on on what they've said they're going to do, which is why I think uh, whatever comes out of WWDC next week will actually be a good barometer of how Apple is planning to play this long term if if they continue to follow through with additional privacy enhancements as part of ios 15 that's an indication that they plan to take this privacy position seriously and make it a long-term thing if WWDC passes and there's nothing about privacy this year then maybe that indicates that for them the whole app tracking transparency thing was just a marketing play and they have no intention of making it a real thing going forward
0: it, it yes maybe but the fact that they are um, they're being so dramatic about this then almost you know implicates them in in this uh you know heinous activity that 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 they are making users aware of because it's like well hey we know this is happening um and it's it's really disturbing right and it's really invasive. Um, and it's really reprehensible uh, and we know that it's happening and we're empowering you to prevent it, but actually we're, we're also just not enforcing it on the advertiser side. Right. Well then that kind of implicates them in that behavior. If you've, if you've, if you've discovered it and then you've told, you know, everyone like, Hey, we decided to stop this because we've deemed it um, to be, you know, to be so disturbing um, that we can't possibly uh, per, uh, permit it on our ecosystem. Um, and then, you know, they've, they've given this mechanic to, to, to let the user have that control, at, you know, as they've sort of presented this, as, as, as they've sort of uh, packaged it to consumers. But then uh, we're not going to enforce it. We're, we're just going to let it slide. Like, then that, that sort of implicates them in the behavior, right? I mean, if they're saying this is so bad, we discovered it so bad, and we've decided enough is enough, we're really going to put our foot down. Uh, but actually, we're not, you know, whether you opt in or not, we're not really going to enforce, um, you know, the policy. Then that implicates them in that behavior.
1: I I still think Apple will enforce this policy as written, and it's just taking them a while to get to it. I don't see how they can have taken such a public consumer focused messaging approach to a feature Mm -hmm. like this, and then not follow through. Because you're gonna have users saying, I clicked the button to say, don't track me. And this ad is still following me around the internet. What the heck? Like end users aren't going to uh, Apple will lose credibility if they allow that to happen. The interesting corollary on the other side though, and I don't think this will be the case with app tracking transparency, but uh, the, the counter argument is if you remember a few years ago, there were a few press stories around this concept of uninstall tracking, which at the time and still is a pretty clear violation of Apple's developer policies around the use of push notifications and yet it survives like apple never did a crackdown on that probably because they couldn't actually observe the violation in effect Mm -hmm. as they're testing the app so the question is will they take a similar or will they take a different stance on fingerprinting if they can't observe it happening in real time will they still do something about it
0: yeah i was kind of you know idly musing about um their their vpn uh implementation today because you know if they are going to block ip addresses from or they are blocking ip addresses from 14.6 by routing the uh the post packs through like an apple service which just obfuscates the original ip could they somehow do that on the app right so that the app doesn't get access to the IP of the user. Is there a way to do that at the device level so that like all traffic is basically routed through an Apple VPN and that the actual app itself, the developer doesn't see the, the true IP address of the user? Because if they did that, then that would also maybe explain why they're slow rolling this, like they're rolling that out. And maybe, I don't know, maybe that's even what they would announce at WWDC, but it's like the app that, and then, and then fingerprinting is just totally impossible, right? Because I mean, you know, what, the, what I'm hearing now is that like, well, like, we're, we're just going to push all this to the back end, we're going to have, you know, real time IP address, uh, you know, stream going from the the ad network to to the to the developer and, somehow. And, and that's how we're going to sort of do fingerprinting in a way that Apple can't see. It. And I've got to imagine they know that's going to happen because, you know, they've been looking at doing the IP address obfuscation for a long time. I mean, I I remember I, I read on, you know, there's the Apple uh, developer forum and there's the whole um. WebKit team that's, you know, very active, there answering questions. And someone had said that they had saw they had seen like, you know, in headers, that the IP address was the IP address field was missing or something. I, I can't remember the specifics of it. But basically, it was the it was it was it was for, um, it was for web, it was for Safari. But still, like, I've, they've clearly been experimenting this and, and thinking about this for a while, am I, am I, my, my, I, I'm not like, technical enough from like an app development standpoint to know if they could somehow at the device level, block the app itself from seeing the user's IP, that that seems like maybe it's possible, maybe it's not. But if they did that, then yeah, you wouldn't be able to fingerprint at all.
1: That is an interesting, I, I've heard rumors of an Apple VPN type service for a while now. I, I don't know how credible they are. But if you want to go to the the end of possibly sounds like a conspiracy theory, then Yes, in theory, if Apple decided that as part of owning an iPhone or your iCloud subscription or whatever, you have access to Apple's global VPN for privacy and anti-tracking protection. Mm-hmm. It's that does make fingerprinting a technical impossibility because everything routes via an Apple server and you don't get IP address, they could theoretically even Uh, sanitize things like user agent out of the requests if they wanted to so that would make fingerprinting a technical impossibility and you could even say well maybe the whole point of this slightly bungled att rollout was to create enough market confusion that apple can point to it and say see that didn't work so now we're going to do this instead
0: Mm. yeah yeah it's interesting i i i mean it's it, what's funny is like you know you um you, you a lot of the, the pushback that i've gotten to some of my um my uh commentary is that you know people are saying look you're overestimating these people it's a big company it's made up of big divisions right the any any given division mm-hmm. in apple is you know bigger than most ad tech startups right like or most ad tech companies scaled ad tech companies even um, you know there's no way they could coordinate this it's almost like the it's it's the same argument that people use to debunk like 911 conspiracy theories it's like there's no way that you could get all these people in the government like across different agencies to coordinate um, right and at the same time. I, and yes, that's true. I mean, I know that Apple is a, a big company made up of big divisions, and it would be hard for them to all kind of, you know, co- you know, c- consolidate around a long term strategy like this. And people call it 4D chess. But I don't think it is 4D chess. It's more like just a linear game of checkers that they've been playing for a long time and making sort of like incremental progress towards I wrote an, and, and anybody who's been paying attention is, has seen this. It's not certainly not unique to me i mean i know a lot of people have been predicting this but you know I, I i had an article i was looking at the other day um uh why is apple going after analytics and attribution talking about uh uh, WWD, uh ios 8 uh which introduced proprietary analytics and app install attribution to the app store which was announced uh at june in in june of 2014 and, you know, they, they introduced attribution then. They had an app install attribution product that just never had any uptake. I mean, it never got any traction, but they introduced it then. And then, you know, the first time I wrote about SK Ad Network, uh, just looking up the, the article now. Um, Will Apple redefine mobile advertising with SK Ad Network? Pub- posted uh, April 9th, 2018. Right. And, you know, IDFA zeroing was uh, 2016. Right. So like all these things have been happening. They've just been happening kind of in slow motion. There's not it's not 40 chess. They've clearly had a long term strategy for a lot of this stuff for, you know, and they've just been making incremental progress towards it over time. So it's not 40 it's chess. It's like a game of checkers that, you know, is just playing really, really slowly. Um, but, but so like, it, it may maybe that, you know, part of that plan, it was like a five year plan, or I guess at 2014, it was a, you know, eight year plan or seven year plan or, or however long the plan was. But like the end point of the plan wasn't even ATT. It was, well, ATT happens, and then we obfuscate IP addresses, right? And then like, who knows what comes after that. But I just, I don't, I don't think it would be. And then if you look at what makes me, um, you know, what, what makes me sort of uh, Uh, believe that this this could have been coordinated over this this very long period of time is that if you look at the people that have that started the app store they're still there right if you look at all the people that were testifying in the epic versus apple lawsuit they have been at the company sometimes 15 20 years i mean you know phil schiller has been at the company for forever craig federini or I, i don't know how to pronounce his name um You know, at EQ, these people have been in Apple for years and years and years and years. I mean, it's not like, you know, this is this constant churn and this revolving door where you can never sort of maintain a strategy uh, for more than 18 months before someone new comes in and, and, you know, has to map out a new strategy. These people have been there for forever. And if they said, look, um, this is what we want to accomplish over like, you know, a five year plan or or not even that long, but like this is this is the direction we want to move in. And they just sort of like revisit the plan every two years, every three years, and they set new goals for it. Um, that doesn't seem impossible to me given the low turnover at the sort of executive ranks at Apple uh, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, how much power those people have. They, they are very, very powerful people, um, you know, at the sort of like uppermost echelon of the company. And I think if they said, look, this is my will and they just got to sort of advance that, you know, they got to move. They got to advance uh, the progress in that sort of, along, along that trajectory every three years, which they would because they're still there and they're still in charge um, that then that's just what's going to happen.
1: I I think you have a a point there because yes, Apple is a huge multinational corporation with many divisions, each of which is larger than most of the rest of the industry. But they're also in perhaps even a unique position that they have such a strong brand and they have such a long-term history with their users that they can afford to plan far longer cycles than is typical mm-hmm. in an industry like this. So yeah, there are obviously some internal communication challenges. Uh, for example, the uh, the mess around figuring out how Apple search ads, whether or not they would use SK Ad Network. I'm guessing that was a case of an internal division not finding out what another internal division was doing until so late that they then had to scramble. But, Within the divisions themselves, you can point to a long history of very effective execution. Apple is able to pick a plan and develop it over many years. So I could certainly see a case where Apple decided, and this is covered a little bit in a podcast episode from The Daily a couple weeks ago. They did a good job of charting the historical narrative around how apple and particularly facebook got into this situation going back as far as you know 2012. i could see them charting out a long-term plan like this of which the app tracking transparency policy is just one step along the long-term development you can almost look at uh, some of the stuff that they were doing with itp on safari as mm-hmm. like. The the prototype for a lot of this, yeah. Every move they've made with made with app tracking transparency has an analogous move on the ITP side a year or two ahead of it.
0: Right. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Exactly. It, it all it all is going to kind of converge there, um, and and that's why I that's why I find those posts um, you know from the WebKit team very instructive because well whatever they're doing now will probably be rolled out to mobile um, in two years, but I mean, yeah, I, I mean, I wrote this post in, Let I me. Mean, uh, so I'm just, I'm just, I'm just citing names of posts I wrote, uh, in this, in this podcast, but, uh, the coming war, uh, between Apple and Facebook, I wrote that in 2017. Right. I mean, it just mm-hmm. seems it's just, there was, there's this like, you know, just like a, a very, uh, you know, slow motion train moving on a track. And it's not hard to just kind of pick up a pair of binoculars and look at, you know, where the train is going to end up, right? Um, where is the track going? The track is set. The track is laid. Uh, this is not like a dynamic uh, system that needs to adapt, right? I mean, if Apple says they're going to do this and they're just going to do this, and that's what the, you know, that, that's the trajectory of this initiative. Now, you know, the specific implementation, maybe ATT wasn't dreamed up five years ago, right? But if it was like, we want to move more and more, Um, into a position of consumers believing that we're like the privacy-centric mobile platform. Also, we want to sort of disempower a lot of these um, other platforms from being able to sort of, um, you know, have uh, agency on top of our platform in directions that we don't want them to go in, Uh, you know, for example, Facebook, um, you know, owning more and more of user engagement um, and sort of obviating the need, uh, or, or, you know, uh, creating, um, uh, creating ways to interact with content that don't route through the app store. We want to, we want to prevent that. Um, and we want to be on, you know, we want to move in that direction. Then yeah, maybe they dreamed up ATT two years ago, but it doesn't matter. ATT is just a manifestation of the next endpoint on that trajectory. Right. And it could have been some other mechanic. They could have, I mean, my prediction in the, in the post that I just cited was that, um, uh, they would, um, they would just get rid of the IDFA completely. Right. So that, you know, that's not, uh, that's not ITT. Um, it's just, you know, it's one implementation of that. I, and then I, I wrote a post in, in February, 2019, where I was, I was saying, Hey, I think at June, what, what would happen if at WWDC this year, June, or no, it's 2020, what would happen if at WWDC this year, uh, Apple, uh, deprecates the IDFA well I just said they would just they would just have it zeroed out by default and you'd have to go and turn LAT off right that was my mm-hmm. prediction well that that's not how that manifested but that would have ultimately been kind of the same result it probably would have been more extreme but I guess my point is like Apple has a direction they want to move in and you know they don't need to dream up the 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 mechanic um five years in advance but they need to know kind of where they land what 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 endpoint they want to be at and then like you know, maybe the 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 sort of schematic of that mechanic only starts to materialize like a year out, but it doesn't really matter. They still get to the same endpoint or the same waypoint, let's say.
1: I think that's probably true, and then the question becomes: Is this? Oh, uh, does this track that we're all following? Did Apple get it right? Does it lead to a place where the iOS ecosystem flourishes, or did they accidentally? kill off their golden goose by misreading everything that was necessary to keep the app ecosystem running. And I, I think we're probably still too early to know how that turns out.
0: Well, or or did they succeed in convincing consumers that they're being um benefited by this? And if that's the case, if that ultimately was the end goal, um and, and also preventing, you know, Facebook from having in, in other uh, other big sort of like uh, you know platforms on top of mobile from having their own like sort of self-contained kind of content ecosystems that don't route through the app store, you know that seems like mm-hmm. another priority here. Um, you know if you get to sell more iPhones by convincing consumers that they're better off because Apple you know cares about your privacy more than Android does, that that's that's good too. But my sense is like well okay we just sort of we just we just sort of prevented Facebook from from being able to like sort of um, get to escape velocity. Right. Where it's it's sort of content interaction ecosystem um, is totally detached from any sort of interaction with the app store. And now all users have to route through the app store whenever they want to interact with content. Right. Um, And and also Facebook now doesn't have the power to sort of get so big that they don't need the app store. Right. That people that 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 people would leave iOS because Facebook wasn't there. Right. you know, because if if any if any platform gets that big, then Apple's in trouble, right? Then the then the then the direction of that dependency switches. Then Apple's dependent on Facebook, right? And then Facebook can do whatever it wants, right? And it can launch games, uh, you know, it can launch game streaming apps. It can do all this stuff, and Apple can't prevent it from doing that because the threat could be, well, we'll leave the App Store, right? Be- or we'll, we'll leave we'll leave we'll leave the App Store because people can interact with us. You know, we'll we'll figure out a way to make sure that people can interact with us um via the browser right uh or we'll launch the facebook browser right which you know there's all these you know i'm just throwing out ideas but like there's all these things that, that that facebook could threaten to do if that dependency flipped and i think apple wanted to prevent that um okay let's let's switch gears a little bit i want to talk about asa uh attribution rates because i think this is something that has mm-hmm. just gone uncovered completely i think you're, you're probably one of the only people talking about it um i talked about it a little bit a, a couple months ago about when uh, you know apple how, how they've privileged ASA with, by having their own reporting API um, and doing their own uh, attribution and not, not utilizing SKA network, but you, can you walk us through what this means and what the sort of practical effect has been of that um, in terms of the data that you're seeing?
1: Right. So th- this goes back to that earlier metric we were discussing about the, the successful device level attribution rate and. It's notable because the Apple search ads network is the only network that is not required to use SK ad network instead of IDFAs. So they have this ad services API, as you mentioned, that gives slightly more granular data after a user installs an app. Uh, installs an app from an ad. And some of that granular data is like the click timestamp, which is pretty useful. And some information about the ad campaign and the keyword that the user searched, that kind of thing. So if you just look at the postback data itself, the keys, the parameters, the the data inside the ad services API postback is more granular than SK ad network. So that's one place where Apple's privileging it. But the other piece that I haven't seen get much uh, traction or haven't seen covered very much is the way that the data is returned. And I, I think that actually has the potential to be more impactful because the way the Ad Services API works allows the data to be connected back to the individual device, which is important because that's how you do things like measure long-term user value. If you want to track a purchase back to an ad campaign that happened two months earlier with SKAdNetwork, that's impossible. With IDFA-based measurement, it was possible. And with the way that the ad services API works, it continues to be possible only for Apple search ads, even when the user has not opted into app tracking transparency. So that device level knowledge there is long term user for, uh, conversions, incorporating the ad data into a multi-touch attribution model with other marketing channels, basically anything that used to be possible in many cases is still possible for Apple search ads, but not anyone else.
0: Can you unpack that a little bit? How is that possible with the, um, the, the uh,
1: ASA reporting API? So, we, uh, I'll, I'll set it up as how it's different from SKAd Network. So, with SKAd Network, the system is very carefully designed so that once the app is on the device, there's no way to determine that the app came from an ad. You can get that data on the back end, it's basically the SKAdNet where Postback will say you got an install from an ad, but there's no way within the app for the developer to write code that will say, I know that this user has the app on this device right now because it came from an ad. Mm -hmm. With the way the ad services API works, you, uh, I'll abstract the technical details a little bit, but basically the app generates a token and this is with the, uh, the, the new ad services API. So they, they rolled out an updated version a month or so ago. But you generate a token on the device. You use that token to get information from Apple search ads about the install. But because the token came from the device and you are using it to query the API, when the mm-hmm. API returns data, you know that it's returning it for the same app. So you have a way to say, okay, maybe use the uh, the user account or the IDFB or something, you know, IDFE value 1234 generated a token that we queried with ad services API ad services API responded back and said, yes, this was an ad based install. And therefore you can make a connection IDFE 1234 came from an Apple search ads campaign and you can keep that knowledge permanently so if idfe1234 then does a purchase 2 months later right. you can report on that which is impossible with skad network
0: do you, do you think part of the genius of this was that this is such an esoteric uh field that you know it's impossible for a lot of mainstream journalists to penetrate and, and even a lot of the the advertising journalists i mean like it it just requires like You'd have to pour through technical documentation to get to it. So first, I mean, I I had heard, you know, I I knew that there was an uh, an ability to attribute, but I didn't know the mechanics of it. Um, which so if the, if that's the first time that I'm really hearing about the mechanics of it, then you know, for the for the majority of people that are even just covering this, um, the majority of people that would be able to kind of have an audience to kind of point out that this hey, this is kind of scandalous. Uh, would never really learn of this. Do you think that's part of the genius of approaching it in this way? Like if I was gonna go to war with a company that I perceive to be threatening my, um, you know, one of my sort of core lines of business, this would be the front I'd want to attack them on, which is like esoteric ad tech, because there yeah. aren't journalists like observing this. There aren't analysts observing this, um, you know, with the sort of level of, of sort of like technical expertise that could uncover something like, like what you just described.
1: Yeah, I don't know whether it's genius or just a case of really dumb luck that it worked out this way. Uh, But but yes, I I think the challenge of being able to unpack the way this works, if you and I are having difficulty with it, then even if a journalist can dig in enough to understand it, there's no way they can write a story that actually appeals to a readership about this. Nobody cares. It's Apple has the far simpler perspective or that their task is, it's really straightforward. It's just tracking is bad, Mm, press this button, the creepy people in your living room go poof. Like that's a really easy story to tell in comparison.
0: Well, yeah. And that's, that's, you know, well, first of all, I think if people aren't picking up on just the audacity of the expansion of ad units, at this pace right after rolling this out then just no one cares no no one's even going to bother digging into the documentation. no one cares it's it's just a non story no one's getting, if 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 you're not going to say look they rolled out the search ads uh, the, the 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 ad tab in search they're putting video ads into news which i'm assuming is going to get rolled out you know further um if if no one cares about that that's just so blatant then no one's going to dig into the technical doc- documentation about how, you know, users can be attributed for ASA and not for other, uh, not, not for any ad network that's use this ad network, which is every, every ad. Network. Um, yeah, I've, I've, I've talked about this, this sort of like the, 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 um, you know, the, the PR challenge for Facebook was how do you, uh, talk about how this is going to hurt consumers without having to explain to them what tracking is. Right you can't and that's why they 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 talked about the harm to small businesses because um you know that 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 sort of conceals a lot of the details but if you have to tell look hey consumers you're going to get hurt by this because actually what we're doing in the background is you know we're tracking all of your offsite conversions you know for every single app that you interact with every single website you interact with and people say wait a minute okay i get why that probably will hurt me but it's i i never consented to this right whereas all apple has to say is like they're tracking you they're tracking you. They're following you around. The guy's jumping in the car with you when you leave the coffee shop. You know what I love about um, that commercial is that if instead of kind of taxiing around the city, as that guy is doing when he's going from shop to shop, he was in a mall, right? He was in a mall and he was going to some number of shops in the mall. that were all independent shops, independently owned shops, but they all were housed in a mall and, and Apple owned the mall. Then... Then that that behavior that they are uh, so aghast at in the sort of variant when he's taxiing from shop to shop like that are different physical addresses would be totally fine if they're all all those shops are in the mall and the users that that customers going from shop to shop and they're all in the same mall then that that sort of track that the behavior that that Apple's pointing out would be totally fine because it's all first party data it's all first party environment but as soon as he leaves a shop and goes to another address right that's 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 tracking and that's bad.
1: Yeah, if you take that analogy one step further, if you went to a mall and couldn't find a map of where the stores were, you'd probably be pretty ticked off.
0: Right. Yeah. Anyway, it's just, uh, it's it's funny how, I mean, I you know, the, and they're really promoting that commercial. I've been seeing it all the time.
1: <laughs> I think we've talked about it enough today that you it, it, probably have to include a link in the show notes.
0: Yeah, I will. For, I'll do that For the
1: one, one listener who hasn't seen it yet.
0: Right. Yeah. Um, Alex, thanks. This is great. Where can people find you? Where can they read more from you? How can they uh, learn more about what you're doing?
1: Um, find me on Twitter. That's where I've been posting most of these graphs that we were talking about today is Alex D. Bauer. Uh, you can find me on the branch blog. Uh, I've got a, a bunch of awesome people writing content, but occasionally I put up a post like I did yesterday. If you want to shoot me an email, it's at io.
0: Alex, it was so great to chat with you today, Uh, I really appreciate you talking to me I really appreciate um, the fact that that you've been so uh, uh, forthcoming with with insights uh, from the branch network and I really hope to uh, read more from you in the future.
1: My pleasure, thank you Eric.